Hi, Oren Baranowski, Chief Financial Officer of Treasury Metals. Uh, we're a well-funded Canadian-based gold-focused exploration development stage company. Uh, our main asset is the Goliath Gold Complex, which is located in northwestern Ontario, near the town of Dryden, just off the Trans-Canada Highway. And we host close to a 3 million ounce resource measured, indicated, and inferred. Have a federal EA for the project. Uh, we completed our PA in 2021 and are working towards the completion of our pre-feasibility study this year. Good morning. My name is Doug Silver. I'm chairman of Chicana Copper. We're a publicly listed company that has this giant field of breccia pipes in Peru that are very high-grade copper, and we're currently drilling them out. Hi, my name is Blaine Monaghan. I'm the president and CEO of Pacific Ridge Exploration Limited. We are listed on the Toronto Venture under the symbol PEX, Papa Echo X-ray, and on the OTCQB. Our goal is to become BC's leading copper gold exploration company, and we have two active drill programs underway right now. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, you're joining us today to answer the question, how do retail investors value companies? It's pretty, it's pretty tough out there. Um, so I guess we should do what all good students do, and that's examine the universe that we're examining. So um, Doug, maybe you can help us understand like, how many companies are actually out there for investors to look at? I, I did a study uh, earlier this year, and 80% of the public mineral company market cap is contained in five countries. So Canada has the most with about 1,400. Australia has about 660 companies. South Africa has just a handful, a couple dozen. And uh, the United Kingdom has a little over 100. The US has about 170. So you have about 2,400 public companies represent 80% of the market cap of the industry. So, right, so that, that's the universe. So um, as assets, uh, evolve and go further down that value curve, the more valuable they should become. But it isn't always the case. And I guess we're going to try and understand that today. So, Blink, you're, you're, you're hunting gold, copper and gold, um, actually up in BC. I mean, BC hasn't been a fun place for explorers recently, has it? Uh, the environment's certainly improved. We're, we're focused on porphyry projects in BC. And I would certainly say over the last decade, there, there hasn't been that much interest in porphyries, but in the last year, the interest level has picked up considerably. We're seeing seniors make acquisitions, we're seeing joint ventures, we're seeing uh, strategic investments, and, and largely that's driven by the fact of the increase in the price of copper and forecasted demand, and also increased political risk in South America. You're seeing a lot of companies, uh, that's their stomping ground, and are now looking further afield for new discoveries to help uh, hedge that risk and bring new pipeline, bring new projects into the pipeline to meet that forecasted demand. So a lot more interest in BC, and we've certainly seen that in our company as well. Okay, you've hit one of the talking points that we're going to cover in this conversation later, which is jurisdictional uh, risk uh, and assessment. And Oren, just bringing into conversation, you've actually stepped into, um, I guess, uh, advance a company which had hit a roadblock or two along the way. So new team. With mm -hmm. with a build experience, which thinks they can get fix a, a broken uh, a, a, pro a company with a, with a few issues and get it into production. So you're probably going to help us today understand that um, the, the bumps along along the road. So what what are your thoughts um, with regards to how a company like yours can kind of reboot itself? Yeah, I think I mean you know Treasury um, is the combination of of a project Goliath and and then Goldman that was uh, that was done in late 2020 and. 
both of those projects have been around for for a, a while, but never had the critical mass move forward. And, and so we put those those two projects together, and now we feel that we've got the critical mass to move it forward. Uh, we put a new team in place uh, that will be able to to drive the project through studies all the way through to construction. You know, with a team of people that have been there and and done that before. Right. Okay. And Doug, um, just bring this back full circle around around to you. So you've helped us understand one aspect uh, of the dynamics of the of the market, which is who, how many players there are. But there's also different types of investors out there. We've got short term investors, day traders, etc. Um, we've got investors with a slightly longer time horizon risk profile. Who do you prefer uh, attract to attract for your businesses? Yeah, I mean, um, given how volatile prices are these days, and 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 I'll include in that volatility, political volatility in, in various formerly pro-mining countries, um, you know, the short-term investor has a lot of opportunities, whether it's chasing commodities or chasing countries. The long-term investor, though, is really in a wonderful spot right now, because let's just take copper. Before the pandemic in 2019, all the forecast was that there's a huge copper shortfall. We then have the pandemic, which shut down countries like Peru and a lot of other places got delayed or slowed down, which exacerbates the shortfall story. And then we had the whole electrification in the EV world coming on like gangbusters, which is also copper focus. And meanwhile, copper prices are down 30%. So if you're a long-term investor, you know now's the time to load up because the, the fundamental supply demand is so out of whack that eventually it's going to have to going to have to pivot. Right. So, Blaine, we, we got to, we got to, got to talk thematics here. Okay. So, I mean, we've, we're talking copper and gold today. You sit on in both camps, copper and um, gold. You know, gold's obviously the big 800 pound gorilla in the room. Uh, people understand that. Copper thematic has been on the rise for the last 18, well, 20, 20, 24 months. You've, you've hedged your bets um, well. And your share price has reflected that. That's nice. But how, how do you, how does a small company start? of um, placing itself into the market in terms of trying to raise money. Do you guys sort of say, well, let's pick up a project, any project will do, and we'll see if we can make it work? Or did you consciously think, well, actually, I need a bit of gold, I need a bit of copper, so let's go hunt for projects like that? That's a really good question. And, and it's a very important part of the equation when evaluating a company is the management and the plan and the strategy. What, what are they seeking to do? Uh, there, there are a lot of different reasons why companies choose different courses of action. And for ourselves, we historically have been focused on gold projects in the Yukon. Uh, it was, we realized it was very difficult to fund these early stage projects in the Yukon, you know, 2018, 2019. So we started thinking perhaps it was time for a pivot. We started thinking about different commodities, different jurisdictions. We landed on copper. We were very bullish on copper at the time. I mean, at that time, copper was just trading slightly north of $2.00. And we felt there were a lot of opportunities in BC because there had not been a lot of exploration in BC in the past decade for porphyry. So, so we sort of limited our search to that. Um, we were very fortunate to option Clayul, uh, our flagship from Centera in January, 2020. And at that time, again, yeah, copper was just slightly north of $2. So I think you have to have a plan, you have to execute, and it has to be based on some good logic. And our logic again was, jurisdictional and also a commodity price that we were very bullish on, seeing that uh, we felt that the price was low. And with the electrification of society and increased political risk, we felt there was going to be a lot more demand for copper. And that's played out. Yeah, right. Okay. So management, 
you know, who've been there, done it before, having a plan and being able to execute on it for, for sure. I mean, Aaron, you, you, your guys have that in abundance, but you went and decided we're going to try and fix something which another management team couldn't. That's pretty brave of you. So what, you know, why, if I'm a, an investor looking in, would I think that was a sensible thing to do? I think it was an overlooked opportunity when we look at Clayul. It, it was orphaned because it belonged in another project's portfolio that was acquired. A bigger company acquired it. And now all of a sudden, they just have this asset. It's not a focus. They're looking to monetize. We're looking for an asset to advance. So as far as they're concerned, it's a win-win. It's not a focus of theirs. They're, they're a producer. Uh, we want to spend our money and advance it and they would retain an interest. So it makes a lot of sense for both parties in that instance. And again, it was a, a wonderful opportunity. The timing was great. And we, we have created value, not only for ourselves and our shareholders, but also for Sentara. Oren, I could ask the same question of you. I think, you know, when we looked at, at, um, at Treasury, the, the Goliath project, I look at it and say, this is a, a project that's it's not too big to build. It's, it's a reasonable size. It's a 5,000 ton a day mill that we're, we're looking at. Um, lots of those around the world. Um, it, and the location, I mean, my previous experience, Jeremy's previous experience is, is building mines in, in, in a much more remote uh, location. I mean, I had the benefit of having a, a, ro- a permanent road, whereas Jeremy had a, a winter road access and and when you start looking at when you want to advance a project through all the way to, you know, through construction all the way into production, logistics becomes a is a huge factor for some of these northern projects where, you know, we're, you know, you could you're nine iron off the Trans Canada Highway for us, the rail hub uh, for for all the projects that are being built in northern Ontario, all that, you know, goes right along our property boundary. We've got power lines that run across our property. So those were kind of the factors that that drew me to the project that said, you know, I can, with my experience, I think we can we can finance this, we can build it, we can bring it in production and use that as a base for for growth uh, down the road. Right, but do you need this? Do you need to get this into production to kind of create value? It, it seems that lots of company have got huge valuations, and I would argue that they're probably going to struggle to get into economic production. You don't. I mean, there's 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 different paths that you can go on. Um, you know, there is the group that wants to just explore and 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 build and and try to you know pretty it up for sale. Um, but if you're interested in in being the op- in the, the ultimate operator of the project, you want to know what it is that you that you're going to be operating. So you you have a different mindset and how you how you go about advancing the project forward and. I'm not saying one is right or, or one is wrong, but I think the path that we are going on is, is the path that we think will create value for, for Treasury Metal shareholders in that there's a project that has been around for 10 plus years and, and hasn't really gone anywhere. And I think we need to, to show and what we've done over the past you know, 18 months to 24 months is, is we've set expectations, we've met those, those expectations, we've grown the project and we're moving, it, moving, the, we're, we're moving the ball forward. Right, Doug, you've, you, your project, Copper, so I agree with you, the thematic is a good one. I think Blaine would agree with you, thematic is a good one. Um, you're, you're at that point where the company is, well, you could argue cash constrained and, and in a, an economic environment which doesn't help. So what are the tricks of the trade for you to kind of survive and come out the other side? What are the tr- what what should again uh, retail investors be looking at in terms of 
your ability to to do that and for them to kind of stick with you, given the size of the prize on the ground that you guys have been talking about? Well, first of all, we we did raise plenty of money this year, so we're 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 good for another year, year and a half. So uh, on the financial side, and what we found is that everybody who can't raise money is now calling us because there's if you have money, cash is king right now. If you don't have money, it's time to look for a partner, or a merger, or an RTR, or what have you. I want to comment on 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 the other two uh, speakers because what they're doing is really important. I mean, Blaine. You're chasing porphyries. You win in multiple ways. If you find one, it's going to be huge. And the big companies like huge. Um, in addition, I mean, even this week, Mark Bristow from Barrick gave a whole interview about copper. So you don't only have copper companies wanting to buy copper projects. You have gold companies wanting to buy copper. So you get two bites at the apple and both of them by huge companies. And Oren, you're in the same position because you have multiple millions of ounces and these big gold companies need multiple millions of ounces. So you keep putting lipstick on it and uh, you can either build it, you can flip it, you can uh, merge with a peer and create something that goes up a tier level. All of those are tremendous ways to create value. In Chicana's case, we're all about grade. We have phenomenal copper grades. We, we don't have hundreds of millions of tons, but we have 120 targets that have been highly defined. We've got a we've got grade of pushing two percent, and if cash isn't king, then grade is king. So we win on that size. You guys win on on tonnage and and contained metal side. So what happens to all these companies, Doug? That maybe cash constraint. I agree with you. Cash is cash is always king, gives you optionality. But um, is it a case of oh the tide goes out and people see what you know see what you're wearing, um, or there are roll up opportunities? And if, if there are, again, how, how do you pick the good stuff? Because surely if it was good, it should have worked the first time around. Yeah. I mean, first of all, this is very healthy. It's like when the stock market uh, corrects downward. We, we need a bit of winnowing. There's only so much money coming in the market. And I'm sorry, but there's a lot of companies that don't deserve financing. Their, their projects are in incredibly tough places to operate or their grades are incredibly low. Or, you know, there's a myriad of reasons why they should have walked away a year ago. So the winners will be the better projects. Projects will be lost or people will get amazing deals for consolidating. And uh, I think that's what you're going to see. I think, yeah, I mean, my, my research shows that the number of companies has been increasing for the last three years, but with the recession already here and the difficulty in raising money, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of the early stage companies disappear in one format or another. Do you, do you feel that 2020 was like it, it did a disservice to the uh, the sector because there was so much money being dished out to anything, anything seemed to be able to raise raise capital. Do you think again, Doug? I'll just stick with you for, for this for a second. Is like is it a case of you know you, you can't have those highs without some lows to to kind of level out to win, winnow the market as it were. Yeah, I mean it's 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 part of the cycle, and and the weird part about the cycle right now is we're not in a we're not in a normal business cycle because you have to superimpose the uh, continual interruption of business by COVID. You know we're now on B four and B five, and that's going to continue creating havoc. And then on top of that, you have the economic recession by normal industrial means. So yeah, we were in gifted times back in 2020. Right now, the next six to 12 months is going to be rough for a lot of people. Um, but it's that's just part of life. 
And I think those peaks really hurt, you know, the sector because the generalist investor comes in at the tail end of that and then the, the price is correct and, uh, you know, projects that maybe shouldn't have got money, got money. And then they, you know, uh, they're left, that investor's left holding the bag and then they become gun shy uh, to invest in, in good projects going forward. I would also add when we're thinking about the current environment that I certainly don't think it was overheated up until April. And I'm kind of using April 1 as my cutoff for, for kind of the correction. And the metric I always look at is the TSX venture, just the index as a whole. And uh, I mean, today in the, you know, the 600 odd range, I mean, that's basically where it was during the great financial crisis. Um, we got as low as into the 300 range, you know, sometime last year, but it's been as high as 3000 uh, during what I would consider the real bubble of kind of 2006 to 2008. So although we were seeing more, inflows, I still think it's historically not not even close to where we would have been in an overheated environment. I think there are companies that are certainly going to suffer in the short term, um, but that will create opportunities for other companies. But I still don't think that we're, we're, we're even close to, to where we have been in the past. One thing that's really important is that usually recessions follow a period of irrational exuberance. Um, this time, the recession has caused it's an inventory recession. And, uh, you know, great numbers came out this morning in the U.S. on how inflation is dropping. But the stalling of the U.S. economy and the global economy is going to allow supplies to catch up with demand. So it's quite different from how markets normally crash. And I think this is really positive because as we get the supply chain delay situation figured out, then the economy is going to take off again, and then metals are going to become very popular. Uh, and, and Oren, you're absolutely right about, about the unfortunate happenings at a peak market. But at the end of the day, once people see that, that demand is up and there's now supply, I think we're going to see a run on prices again. It's almost like we, we, we're going to have to get a bit cliched here, guys, and, and talk about the fu fu fundamental um, components as to how you invest, how you value a company. Bring it back to the the the, the heading of of this show, because Doug, you've mentioned we talked about short term and, and long term investors and and the, the different types of profiles there. And of course, you know here we've got exploration companies and also a development company, um, which which again has its own own nuances here. But what I I felt the last you know two two three years in this space it's been a lot about sentiment and emotion and feelings which is part of the market dynamic and very little on the basics which I would hope we're going to talk about now which is around sort of management teams their you know their decision making which we've touched upon here but I think there's more to it the assets themselves how do you value those and in the case of a Development project where which have got you know studies on them, Oren, um, where you're talking about you know uh, EV answers and return on capital invested and P to nav, etc. I mean, so Oren, maybe start with you because you're on, on the on the finance side of, of things. When you're coming in, like say when you came into Treasury, you said, right, I've got to assess what we've got here. You're you're probably not the guy that was assessing the asset. What were you looking at? Well, I mean, when I look at you know, treasury metals, you know, I look at, you know, things like, you know, location, you know, permitting team, you know, those are the factors that come into and, and then where it is on the valuation spectrum relative to peers. So, you know, location, 
Um, we're, you know, on the Trans-Canada Highway, we're on the rail line, we're on power lines, you know, so if, if you put two projects next to each other, and one has a, is a two grand project, and one is a one grand project, and all you're looking at it on a piece of paper, you say, well, the two grand project's better. Well, what if that two grand project is, is in the middle of nowhere, and it's really hard to get to? So all of a sudden, that, that logistical element says, yeah, well, you're going to have a much higher cost environment. So now that one grand project becomes a lot more attractive. And I think that's where, you know, we, we tick we certainly tick the box in terms of location, um, you know, and then location also in terms of looking at where it is relative to other, is it a mining camp? Is it not a mining camp? So, you know, have the, if you have impacted indigenous communities, have they done IBA's negotiations or is this a brand new process for them? That, that becomes a more difficult element uh, if, if you're going into a brand new area. Um, permits, um, you know, we've got a federal EA. Uh, permitting, you know, the permitting process in Canada and around the world is is taking longer. So, so those timelines to get those permits, how far are you away from getting your ultimate, you know, mining construction permit, um, that should factor into the evaluation exercise. And, and then finally, you do need to look at the team. You know, what 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 is the background of the of the, of the principles that are involved with taking this project from where it is today and taking it forward? Uh, you want a team of people that have done this before. Um, if if you're looking at a project that either if it's if it's if it's a project for sale, have these people you know built value and sold projects for higher prices than where they came in, or are these people that have built projects that have come in ahead of schedule, under budget, and then the project you know operates uh, successfully for for years? Those are the kinds of things that you need to be looking at when assessing how to value uh, you know and within the valuation spectrum. You know, you would you would ascribe a much higher value to teams of people that have been there and done that before, have the location, have the grade, have have all those those, those key factors for success. So, Doug, in, in in the in this in these conversations I have every day of the week, I speak to CEOs, industry people. They know what good looks like and they know what bad looks like and know which projects will work, which projects won't. If you're choosing which company you want to come and work for. Are you making your judgments based on emotions like how much are they going to pay me or it'll do for now until I find the next best thing? Because it's your brand, your reputation that's on the line here. So you, you walked into Chicana Copper, why? Yeah, it, it's all about severance packages. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'll do the jokes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so just just to finish up on, on, on what Oren and, and Blaine have been saying, if you're looking at open pits, First thing you look at is grade. Second thing you look at is waste ore ratio. Because I see, I go through 100 economic studies a year. And when somebody has a high waste ore ratio and a low grade, they're not going to be a low cost producer. Sorry, the engineering company screwed up. You go underground, the first thing you look at is grade. And it darn well better be multiples of what an open pit would be. And you have to look at that grade over mineable widths. So, you know, somebody who has very, very low grade over 100 meters, who cares? It's not viable. But if they have high grade over a mineable width, then it's got a shot. Um, I joined Chicana for a couple of reasons. One is uh, having stepped out of private equity after 10 years, I wanted to go back to my geologic roots and uh, work on some really interesting geology. And I've been in breccia pipes about three or four times now in my career or Kimberlites. <clears throat> uh, and I love them. They're great geology. The grades on this thing are killer. Grade is king, um, particularly when metal prices come down. We've got phenomenal grade. I think we can find a lot more. That was a big incentive for me. It had nothing to do with pay for me because I'm quasi-retired. It was about the opportunity to create massive value because 
I did that with international royalty. I'd like to do it again. And so if somebody at my age has different things than if I was 40 year old looking for a job. If I was a 40 year old looking for a job, I would actually spend the time because everything's available on the internet and figure out how this company ranks relative to its peers on things like grade and project status and you know all those things. Um, a lot of people take jobs because they have to, but you don't want to join a company that fails because then that's going to follow you around the rest of your career. So you really do need to do some work. And the good management teams are fairly well known by the investing public. And in my case, because of my age, I can make three phone calls and find out anything I need about anybody off the record or on the record. Well, it's a shame you guys couldn't share more of the off the record stuff because it's fascinating. When I when I talk to you know you, you CEOs after or before filming, I learn more of them than during the show because you've got to be a bit bit muted. I guess the public market has its has its ups and it has its downs um, as well. Um, Blaine, I mean, how, what about you? I mean, what, what do you think is um, relevant and important? As you know, as investors looking into companies, especially with companies like you, because a lots of companies like you guys of a certain size, uh, and as we heard from Doug right at the outset, the chances of success are not great. So, what's the difference in companies that will succeed and, and those that won't? Sorry, I just got a, a text from somebody saying that Doug Silver was asking about me. So he wants to find out who blames the hands. Literally, he's, he's three, three phone calls away from any of us. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, I, I did my thesis on political risk in, in mineral exploration and mining, and I've, I've always found that very intriguing. Um, you know, honestly, mineral exploration and mining is difficult enough without political risk. So, so first and foremost, I just try to avoid it. By, by being in jurisdictions that I think are favorable for mineral exploration and mining. And that shifts and that changes. Um, but I think that the three most important things would, would, be, would be management projects and, and then share structure. Um, management, I mean, you know, have, do they have experience? Uh, whether, you know, if they've been involved in discoveries or, or M&A, uh, they, can they access capital, which is critically important right now? It's, it's easy when times are good, but right now is when you prove yourself. Uh, can you attract talent? Uh, you know, this, th that's one of the biggest risks in this industry also. It, it's, it's talent, whether on the technical side or directors and management. So can you attract talent? Um, and, and to, I'm not going to say to a lesser extent, but promotional ability. Um, can you actually go out there and speak to people, convey your message in a way that's going to get people to buy in? And that and that that filters up to all these other things I just spoke about. Whether you know your ability to attract talent, capital, et cetera, selling your company, selling your project, you're, you're selling. Um, then of course projects. You know what stage are you at? Um, the commodity. Um, and again, jurisdiction, I think, is really, really well, important. Well, hang on. You, you, come on. You, you can't say I studied what, political risk in minerals without us taking advantage of this situation. Because the question I'm asking a lot recently is, you know, what does tier one jurisdiction mean anymore? It used to be obvious. Anything in a Western jurisdiction, fine. Anything not, you've got to be careful. And there would be a premium for one and a discount for another. That seems to rule seems to have been thrown out the window. Um, is that your view? I, 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 I would disagree. I would say, I mean, you can't just look at Canada as a whole or the U.S. as a whole. You have to look at Canada by province and states. You have to look it up by the state level. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm not dealing with projects that have MPVs, but, you know, there's some people that might argue that a project in Nevada should have a, a zero uh, discount because it, it's so supremely safe. And there's some other companies that might be trying to put out a discount of 5%, some jurisdictions, and people are saying, no, at a minimum, that should be an 8 or a 10, and that's how I'm going to value it. Um, so you, you do have to be selective. Things do change. They are fluid. And that's why you also have to make, make sure that you're monitoring the situation and also just not relying upon the people on the ground in that country or jurisdiction that you're operating in because they might just have their own inherent biases that they can't avoid. Right. But we've, again, we've had companies come on here who have left Nevada because it has got harder. It's got more expensive not just drill costs, running costs, but the, the paperwork. I said, no, we're going back to Canada. So I, I'd say I'd say that Nevada's just gotten harder because it's been so successful. It's not easy to make discoveries in Nevada because it's been well explored for well over a hundred years. Uh, jurisdiction, you know, infrastructure in Nevada is fantastic. It, it's it's a cheap jurisdiction for exploration because of the infrastructure, but your land holding costs is, is what will get you. I mean, you know, payments to the BLM or forestry, if you've got a very big land package, you're paying in US dollars and you need to have success or you're going to keep reducing your properties or have to drop them. And you also don't get the advantage if you're in Canada of flow through dollars that's less dilute of financing that's very advantageous to Canadian companies. Even Nevada's having issues. Look at Thacker Pass. You know, there's a lot of opposition to that. Um, and, and I think what we're seeing, uh, interesting time for this call because, you know, look at Chile. In the last 10 years, I think Chile's had one mining application they didn't approve for construction. This year alone, there's six. So in Nevada, we're finally seeing NGOs pushing up against the lithium projects. And I think that we're going through a transition right now where the political risk in, in North America, the political risk is the indigenous people. Do you get your IBA? Where in, in Latin America, it's more you know environmental ministers and people like that. But you need to be on top of it and not assume that you know, everything in the U.S. is like Nevada or everything in South America is like the old Chile. Um, it's gotten very project specific or provincially specific. And you've got to do serious homework because they can stop you dead in your tracks, no matter how much um, economic development you're doing for the country or the state. I think bottom line is just political risk is increasing in every jurisdiction permitting gets more and more difficult the timelines keep pushing out and it keeps getting more and more expensive which ultimately i guess should be good for all of us as far as increased metal prices because we're not going to be able to meet demand if we keep going down this road feeds the feeds the whole argument about why metal prices are getting ready to pivot and, and what jurisdiction is is in vogue? You know, these things are cyclical. Ten years ago, no one wanted to invest in Nevada, and now it's you know it's a hotspot. Ten years ago, no one wanted to invest in 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 BC, and now you know there's all kinds of activity going on there. Northern, I mean, there's uh, three or four different projects being built right now in in northwestern Ontario. So people talk about it being a difficult permitting environment. Well, I would argue that it's, you know, there are mines that are in construction that are being built right now. So I would say it's a great time to be in, in Ontario because there are projects that are, that are advancing and moving forward. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. We, we, again, we have a company um, on here suffering because um, perception of doing business in California and, you know, we've got the CIs will come on and go, well, it depends which County in California you're in. So that's really 
very precise. Uh, They're getting very granular. Right. So it's U.S. state county. That's very, very granular. And and we're going through the same process. We're we're buying a copper mine at the moment, and um, you know we we had to do a lot more work on the on the jurisdiction than we would have in the past because obviously what's going on there with with uh, the the new the new government and. you know their their attitude to to um, new mining projects. So it, it, it's it's what I was what I'm saying is it's, it's a difficult environment for you guys to work out. Well, well, the thematic is easy. That's the easy bit. Jurisdiction, it's getting a little bit more complicated. But you know you, you still still know where you're where you're at. And then I, I appreciate the management team, their plans, and the yeah, evaluating the asset is easy. But there's a kind of also market dynamic in moments like this. Again, you, you, you'd be, you know, forgiven for doubting yourselves somewhat. Um, but it's a cycle. We'll come out the other side, won't we, guys? Well, you have to take Absolutely. a long-term view. You have to take a long-term view on this, right? You know, you can't just look at, okay, well, in the short term, it's difficult. Oh, we got to, you know, we got to down tools. I mean, you've got to take a long-term view. Is this a project that that should go ahead? Is it going to generate strong cash flows for, for a long period of time, yes, then you, then you drive forward with it. Um, and and you, 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 know, you, you take on the, the short-term impacts that, that come along. I mean, we're fortunate to be in a well, you know, well-financed situation because we raised money earlier this year. I'm, I'm thankful that, that we did. I wouldn't want to be raising money today, uh, but that doesn't mean the project is any less valuable today than it was you know, six months ago. Um, because these things can you know, can come and go, and you need to be in a position. You always you need to keep the momentum going to keep the project moving forward. Because it's really hard once you when you stop to restart. So you got to you you have to keep driving forward. I'd like to add to what Oren said, and it's a, it's a really important consideration, sort of at my end on the exploration side. And, and it was a point I was talking about earlier as far as structure, and and this is related to financing and the ability to move forward. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the better the share structure of a company, that the more leverage or torque an investor can have if it has success. But does that mean that a company should avoid a financing in down markets and not advance their projects? I, I would disagree with that. And, and this is to Oren's point that you always need to be moving forward. And some of the, the best uh, CEOs, I think, would take a similar view that you, you take the money that's required to advance your project. And sometimes that works for you. Sometimes it works against you. But if, you, if you're not moving forward, you're dead in the water and you're going you're gonna to pay for it. You're not creating value. Yeah. If you hold out for that last five cents, you know, that money might not be there. And you'll take a lot of flack. For, you, you're always going to take flack for raising money. You never raise the money at the right price. It's never high enough. Uh, but you're going to take a lot more heat if you don't raise money and then you can't. Right. So it's always, you know, sometimes you do have to make that tough decision to say, well, you know, this, this might be a down round, but longer term, we think the value is there for, for the shareholders. So that's why we made that decision. You know, Oren, Oren brought up another good point, which I think is probably lost on a lot of investors. You know, we all know that management of the companies is, is a key factor as to whether you want to support them. Everybody always wants to, you know, back a winning horse. But nowadays with the strong, uh, delays and permitting for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, I think, Oren, you're absolutely right. People need to do more due diligence on the quality of the permitting people or the indigenous people you're signing an IBA with. People need to do more research on them and not assume that you could just sit down and cut a deal because um, it, it just doesn't work that way anymore. So 
management on both sides of that equation, I think, carry almost an equal weight. Because if you have if you have a permitting agency that's never permitted this mine before, doesn't matter how good you are as a manager, you're going to be swimming upstream the whole way. And so I think this is a big area, and, and particularly in Chile right now with this new environmental minister, um, apparently doesn't understand his economy, but knows how to uh, knows how to be a strong environmentalist. Your commodity matters as well, too, because there are certain groups that will will be in favor of, of, of certain types of mines, but not in favor of certain types of other types of mines. So you can't just again, you can't just take that blanket statement that that, you know, you know, no, no projects go ahead or all projects go ahead. It's, it's, it's more nuanced than that. I'd like to say something to Doug's point as far as uh, the, the quality of the team moving forward with negotiations, whether with its, uh, say, with First Nations or, or, or government officials. Um, yeah, I spend a, a huge amount of my time uh, liaising and communicating with the various nations that, that our projects are located in, in, in BC. It, it's a, I knew that I would be spending quite a bit of time on it, but I'd say I'm probably devoting anywhere from 25 to 50% of my time and making sure that all the nations are informed, that they, they know what we're doing, that if we're looking to amend permits, that uh, they're getting drafts beforehand to provide comments, to mitigate any, any concerns they might have to make sure that they have the first chance uh, of bidding for contracts and employing members. It's, uh, it's critically important. Um, it's a critically important part of my job. And I think it's a very important part of any CEO's job if you're operating in Canada and dealing with First Nations. And if a company is not doing an adequate job of that, uh, I'd say that's a huge flag and you should run because if, if the project runs into opposition from any local First Nation, that project is going nowhere. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's, I think that's a good, good point. A good point to end on. Um, guys, I'm going to give you each two minutes to give and share with us reasons why investors should be looking at your particular companies uh, and, and investing in them. So, I mean, Oren, I'm going to, I'll kick off with you. Okay. You know, I, I, why Treasury Metals? I think we, you know, all the factors that we've talked about here today, I think we we tick off all those boxes. We're 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 in Ontario, we're northwestern Ontario. We, we're on the Trans Canada Highway. We're on power lines. We're on the rail lines. So that risk mitigation factor for driving that project forward into construction, you know, that logistical element, we we are able to to meet that. In terms of of permitting, we're dealing with uh, with Indigenous communities that have negotiated IBAs in the past. Um, we have a head of uh, our, our head of community engagement has probably done, I don't know, 10 to 20 IBAs in the province of Ontario over the last 10 years. So she's she's well versed in, in dealing with communities to get these agreements signed. We have a federal EA. So we're now working on the provincial permits for and that's a that's a big factor for 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 uh, for Canada. And I think we have the team in place of people that have built mines successfully, that have permitted mines, that have negotiated uh, indig- uh, uh, IBAs and a finance constructions of projects. So I, I think you know we have all the elements of success for for what you want in a development project. Doug, yeah. So you know we talk about the green economy and electrification, and copper keeps showing up as one of the green metals, probably because when it oxidizes, it turns green. Um, but and and no disrespect to blame, but most of the porphyry copper deposits that are being discovered and delineated these days are exceptionally low grade, which makes them not green at all because they have larger cycle times, more emissions, you know, more rock to move. 
So at Chicana, we're chasing high grade. We're pushing 2% copper. We've got a great gold kicker. We put out our maiden resource in January. We're drilling another 20 or 30 pipes this year. And our idea is to build a tier one uh, project with high grade because we think high grade should get a special premium in the market. Blaine? Well, as I mentioned at the outset, our, our goal is to become BC's leading copper gold exploration company. We've made great strides since we made our first acquisition in 2020 with, with Clayul, our flagship, which we're drilling right now. We now have five copper gold projects in BC, porphyries. And we recently entered into an option agreement with Antifagasta that's funding a, a 1500 meter drill program right now at RDP. So it's, it's a busy summer for us. We have two drill programs totaling 7,500 meters. Uh, we're hopeful that we're going to make a significant new copper gold porphyry discovery in BC, which, as we talked about before, I think would be attractive to both copper and gold mining companies. So uh, we're very excited. We think we got an early start on porphyry exploration in BC. We've been rewarded. Our shareholders have been rewarded. And if we can keep delivering success, there's more rewards to come. Uh, gentlemen, like, uh, thank you very much for all of that insight. And like, if, if you're listening to this or watching this, think about the way that these guys um, think about their business and, and how they grow their businesses. And, you, and think about your investing in the same way. Uh, you won't go far wrong. So Oren Baranowski, CFO at Treasury Metals, Doug Silver, Chairman at Chicana Copper, and Blaine Monaghan, President and CEO of Pacific Ridge Exploration. Gentlemen, I thank you. Thank, thank you. Very you. Much, Matt.